Hola y bienvenidos a la Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes y presidente de esa mejor cerveza y 818 es el mejor tequila. No abate por No Filter Network. Miguelito Santiaguito, a.k.a. Bobby Ball, not with us this morning, but job or no job, dead or alive, we properly salute him. Yes, 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 yes. Woo. Remember this, folks. When we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, class, that's right, we're fucking useless. That's it. A very pleasant good morning to you. Today is August the 23rd, 2023. And beagreatteacher.com is back as one of our proud sponsors, along with Verge. Go to Try Verge if you have any sort of issues concentrating through the course of the day. They have these amazing honey lemon cannabis pick-me-ups focus all in all it is one of the better products that i've ever tried it is legit i can only tell you what i feel that it does for me how you react to it uh, that's your own personal thing but i truly believe that we all need to listen to our own bodies and this stuff has been fucking fantastic there's no other way to put it. So thank you to the great people over there at Verge. Jory, I appreciate the uh, the packages of stuff. So beagreatteacher.com is back. Uh, and they take a break for the summer. Now, school across the country, for the most part, is back in session. I have no fucking idea why. Uh, it's idiotic if you ask me. And I was just... Reading yesterday, actually, I wasn't reading. I was listening to this on the radio when I was listening to the highway on SiriusXM channel 56. They were talking about how temperatures in the Dallas area are up to 104 degrees. And they're having problems keeping the kids cool in classrooms. Well, the solution should be pretty fucking simple. Uh, Joe, if he's wondering if I'm doing a podcast today, because I just got a text message from him. Every now and again, dude, you got to turn it on. Jeez, man. So, yes, we are running the DH today, Giuseppe Pepe Manuele. So, the daily fun facts are back. Uh, these are the, this is a segment that Kowalski would bemoan every single morning. I love it. Is some of it corny? Yeah, of course it is. But it's a nice way to kick off the day. August the 23rd, 2020, thought of the day. Quote, speak your mind, even if your voice shapes. Maggie Kuhn. I love that because it encourages people to unleash whatever it is that they have on their mind that ideally they believe would be a benefit to civilization, to society, something uh, of value that they're offering to the world, 
But the point about the even if the voice shakes, sometimes it's not fucking easy to say or do the right thing. And there's going to be quiver in there. There's going to be anxiety. There may be nervousness, whatever it is. But regardless, if it is something that can help somebody else, if it is something that can help you, if it's something that can help uh, an organization, don't be afraid to speak your mind. Thank you, Maggie, for that. The joke of the day, why can't a nose be 12 inches long? Well, because then it would be a foot. Huh. Random fact of the day, the average backpack weighs about 20% of a student's body weight. Interesting. Really? Man, I used to have a heavy-ass backpack. I used to load it up, like put every single book in there. Some people would have the books, and this is straight Gen X shit, because I don't even know if kids have books anymore. But I would go to my locker, and I would have nothing in my locker. I was notorious. Wasn't interested in the locker. But I would have my whole locker on my back. So 20% of 100 pounds obviously would be 20 pounds. 20% of 200 pounds would be 40 pounds. I bet you I had a 40-pound backpack in high school. I was lugging that bitch around St. Francis and, like, proudly. Now, don't make a mistake. Like, I really enjoyed going to my locker. But that was for one reason and one reason only. That was to slam Kevin Byron into the lockers. We would body check each other. And we did it for all four years. Byron, B-Y-R-O-N, was right next to Burns, B-Y-R-N-E-S. And I don't know how or why it started. But I think one day... Byron walked by, and I didn't really know a whole lot of people at St. Francis. There was a lot of South Bay kids, and I was coming from the North Bay. And he walked by, and he kind of bumped me. I'm like, yo, dude, what's up, man? He goes, oh, sorry, man. I said, no, it's all good. Just as long as I can bump you next time. <laughs> then I walked by him next time, gave him a little bump. And as the years went on, sophomore, junior, senior year, it turned into straight fucking tackles in the lockers. Bah! Now, Byron is the same guy, by the way, that ran in his uh, tidy whities across the field in the Bellarmine game our senior year. So, uh, journal prompt of the day. We always like these. Good daily hustle suggestions. What is the best summer food or drink ever? What makes it so delicious? Ah, the food? How about a chicken orzo salad with cucumbers and a little insanity stuff? Uh, the drink? The Martis Camp Pool Frozen Margarita. And you cannot have more than two. It will knock you on your ass. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you're... 250 pounds and drink like a fish every day. More than two, you're done. Just ask Ryan Griffin about that one. So, open the chat here. We're live. We're interactive. Uh, good morning, Luker. Good morning, Andre. Good morning, Pete and the rest of the DH crew. 
So yesterday, I spent several hours making this video. And essentially, there's stories that I've told about my big league call-up before. And I figured it out yesterday. There's like four different stories that all go into this same 24-hour time period. And so typically, August 22nd will come around, and that's the anniversary of my big league debut. And within, uh, you know, what I, what I usually do, I should say, is just post a picture. I'm probably posting the same one over the course of, I don't know how long I've been on IG, maybe 10 years, right? So let's just say I post, there's a couple different ones from my debut that I have and put up and usually like to do some sort of reflection post. And I, it's good for all of us, right? And I, I like to think there's some inspiration in there for some young ball players, And there's also some, some, some great uh, nuggets of wisdom uh, through that experience that I, I, again, like to share, whether it's a young ball player or just someone, you know, rolling through life. But yesterday, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to take the four stories that were in this 24-hour period and try to put them together. And so I thought about doing it on Deuces Wild last night. I even talked to Henry about this. And there is an element, obviously, of when we tell a story and when I'm talking to a person. And it's not scripted. It's just, I'm here. I'm doing my thing. Those are the best by far and away. And it would be easy to tell stories that way. And I still could do it uh, even here this morning on the Daily Hustle. But like I told Henry, I'm like, look, man, I go with thrills on. I want thrill being the main subject. I want to highlight everything that he's doing. If anything, I can tell these stories on the Daily Hustle, but there's no way that I'd be able to combine all four of them together and be succinct with it. Just because there's so many offshoots and side stories that go along with every one of them. So yesterday afternoon, I got on the treadmill and I wrote, actually I did, because I was out running up in the hills. I, I was running and writing a condensed version of what happened over the course of a 24-hour period. And then came back here and put this thing together with pictures and dressed it up a little bit. But there is some element of, say, being scripted. And then immediately in my mind also, I thought to myself, I'm like, this is Daily Hustle, like for sure, that I would send out to the thousands of people uh, this morning, which I did. And more than anything, you know, through that time, it just it got me thinking that life is 100% about experiences and relationships. And then it's about what we're able to take from those experiences and from those relationships. And what are we going to do with it moving forward? in our lives so this was a really cool thing i think for me to do uh 
at the same time, I think it's something that, uh, based on the reaction that I've gotten, it's been really well received. But it's, again, like, those experiences that, that we are able to accumulate and then share, that's fucking everything. I'm not going to simply look at the past. I am not going to be one of those dudes that relives my glory days every year. I don't, I don't give a shit. I really don't. It's not important to me to continue to try to rehash yesterday's news. But it's how we can take our lessons from yesterday and move on to today to help the next generation, say, charge through life, to help us charge through life. So this was uh, definitely a, a wild 24 hours. And on that note, let's get right into today's Daily Hustle, titled Life Changing 24 Hours. Buenos dias. Today is August 23rd, 2023, and 23 years ago, yesterday, I made my major league debut on August 21st, 2000. We were playing in Sacramento when I hit a bloop down the right field line with two outs in the ninth, down two runs and nobody on. I thought for sure... I could leg out a double, but the right fielder made a sick play and hosed my ass a second. Immediately after, I was summoned to manager Bob Guerin's office. Bernsey, you can't make the third out in that situation when you aren't the tying run. You know that. I taught you better than that. Whatever you do, don't make the same mistake in Cleveland tomorrow night. I'm like, Cleveland? Who's playing in Cleveland? The A's are, and you will be in the starting lineup. You're going to the show, kid. I called my parents and went back to the apartment where I was staying, pounded a 40 of Mickey's and watched Seinfeld reruns all night until it was time to go to the airport. The flight was delayed, so I didn't get to the stadium in Cleveland until 45 minutes before the game. The security guard then wouldn't let me in because I didn't have an MLB ID. Eventually, a fan showed him a minor league card of mine. And he finally let me in just 30 minutes before game time. I walked into the clubhouse, and the first person I saw was Ace Manager Art Hap. Welcome to the Bigs. Thought I was going to have to scratch you. You're hitting seven. With barely any time to meet my teammates, and I didn't. I probably met about four or five of them. I then fired on a uni as quickly as possible, rushed out to the field, and full sent a sprint to the center field wall where during the National Anthem, I soaked it all in for the first time. A few minutes later, I'm standing in the batter's box facing multiple-time All-Star Chuck Finley. A few pitches later, I hit a bullet up the middle and was standing on first base with my first major league hit. Later in the game, I got another knock, stole a base, and scored a run. I then faced Steve Reed, who hung me a first-pitch slider that I took a gangster hack at. He, had hit. he said something, which I couldn't really hear, and then drilled me in the ass with the next pitch. Apparently, he wasn't happy about a rookie swinging that hard against him. Our bench went nuts, began talking all sorts of shit, and then the next inning, we threw behind Sandy Alomar, causing both benches to clear. Because I was the initial cause of this, I made sure to get on the front line and was face-to-face -face with David Seguin. He was breathing heavy and literally had fucking snot coming out of his nose. 
This wasn't a fight I wanted, but I sure wasn't backing down. Then Matt Stairs stepped between us, and I found myself toe-to-toe with Omar Vizquel. I couldn't help myself. What's up, Omar? I'm a big fan. Whoa, what's up, kid? Pretty cool. After the game, I returned to the hotel, decompress, and rehash a wild day with my mom, my sister, and my agent. Then the hotel phone rang. Burnsy, it stares. Get your ass to the hotel bar now. I immediately went down, and there was a shot of Jägermeister and a Coors Light waiting for me. We pounded the shot and grabbed the beer and hopped in a taxi to Chris's Cabaret, where he proceeded to treat me to another 12 Coors Lights and endless lap dances the rest of the night. Needless to say, it was a hell of a life-changing 24 hours. EB. So, the four-story breakdown. The first one was getting called up. And what I did touch upon there, and I did actually talk about it last night, was right after I got thrown out, I was so pissed that I literally, I remember like throwing my helmet and just walking off the field. And I walked to the left field clubhouse because that's where the clubhouses are in Sacramento. But I like took my time at center field or whatever it was. Like, it was like slow walk. And Roy White came up to me as he was like slowly walking up. Roy White, huge instrumental figure in my development as an outfielder. I, I think he was the one that literally changed me from being suspect at best in the outfield to being one of the best outfielders in the game of baseball. We literally would be pimping fly balls. He had me like to loosen up were like snatch catches, like Savannah banana stuff behind the back, like all this stuff to get me from being so rigid. And Roy, I've never heard him raise his voice in my entire life. He was always just really calm, whether it was, you know, we're in the cage together and the outfield together. And he walks up and he goes, Bob wants to see you in his office now. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. And it's palms up or palms down, right? Oh, no, fuck that. I made the third out in a situation where I shouldn't have made the third out. And I should have known better. I would have told you before I took off that I had a 99% chance of making it to second base. And I'm accountable. No problem. I'll take whatever punishments coming my way. And so then when I walked in there, Bob had that. Jeez, Percy, fuck, man. I, you know better. You can't do that. And it was really cool. And then he obviously says you can't make the same mistake in Cleveland tomorrow night. And it was like, Cleveland? Like, I, I did not register. My first thought was, why are the River Cats going to play in Cleveland? I thought we were going to Salt Lake. My second thought was, holy shit, did I just get traded to the Indians? And then it wasn't until I realized the A's were playing in Cleveland, in which Bob regaled me with that information, uh, that I knew I was going to the big leagues. So I did then go call my mom and dad immediately. 
and then went back to EB's apartment. EB, Eric Brandon, played football at Cal. It's fucking awesome, dude. Yeah, lent me his couch for the entire time I was in Sacramento. But there was no way I was going to be able to sleep. So I picked up a 40s of Mickey's, and I don't know why that was the drink of choice, but that's what I drank at the time. And I think I hit some jack-in-the-box, too. I got an ultimate cheeseburger. And I do remember sitting in this chair, like, trying to keep my eyes open and not go to sleep. And I figured that I could just sleep on the flight. But there was no way I was going to go to sleep and potentially not wake up to make the flight. So I watched Seinfeld reruns all night. I go to the airport. Take off from Sacramento to Denver. I get to Denver, and I'm not kidding you. I ran into my mom and my sister at the Denver airport, who were then on my flight to Cleveland with me. So the flight was delayed. It wasn't like big time delayed, but it was enough to make it really close. And it was already kind of close. It's tough to get back to Cleveland in time, right? So I end up crashing out in the first class seat. It was my first experience, like called big league experience. You know, typically you're flying coaching, even from Sacramento to Denver, I believe I flew southwest with flight coach. But now it was a United flight into Cleveland. And there's a great picture that my mom has of me just completely passed out in that first class seat. And then I get to Cleveland. I believe we take separate taxis because my mom and my sister were to go to the hotel first. We get to Cleveland in 45 minutes. It might have been an hour, but it was super tight. So I get there and I have a cell phone. It was post cell phone days. But I, there's like pre-text messages, right? Like it was... You weren't sending texts at this time. It was just basically you had the cell phone, a call, flip phone. And so I get there, and I'm calling Mickey Morbido, the traveling secretary for the Oakland A's. And it's going straight to voicemail. So but I'm like, I, I kept calling him and calling him. And the security guard, as I mentioned previously, would not let me in the building because I didn't have an MLB ID. And there was a guy there that all of a sudden, you know, comes up. He's like, hey, Bernsey, you mind if I uh, get a couple autographs? I'm like, yeah, sure. Now these card collectors are everywhere. So it's really not a big shock that he had one of my minor league cards. And he, and you know, I ended up signing a card, but I'm like, hey, will you do me a favor? I'm like, can you show this to the security guard? So I like, wave down the security guard. He was already like back in his booth or something. I wave him down, and he comes back, and it's like, look, man, like I'm not fucking around. Like this is it's we're, we're now 30 minutes before game time. I need to get in there, and finally lets me in. I go into the clubhouse. I see Art Howe. Basically, he's like, look, dude, I thought I was gonna have to scratch you. Glad you got here. Welcome to Big Leagues. I meet Jason Giambi, 
I meet Eric Chavez. I meet Matt Stairs. I see Adam Pyatt, who I knew. Zito, obviously, I knew. Mulder, I knew. So there were a few guys I, I knew, but there were all, was also a good contingent of these dudes that I'd never played with before. Now, at the time, everyone wore their pants like really low. And I wanted to wear my socks up. I just had always done it since I was a kid. So I went to Jason Giambi. And they all go, yo, G. I said, is it cool if I wear my socks up? I know everyone wears their pants low. And it was to the point they were like clipping it under their cleats. And he goes, come on, man. He goes, this is the Oakland A's. You can do whatever the fuck you want to do. I'm like, oh, okay. This is, this is it. This will be good. So I end up changing as quickly as I could. I, I didn't, I, I, there's a T in the tunnel. So I went down and I'm like, boom, to start taking a few hats off the tee. I'm maybe 10. And next thing you know, I'll be well, 10 minutes before game now. And the one thing I did in AAA or throughout the course of my entire career, minor leagues, big leagues, college, all of it, is I sprinted out to center field as fast as I could. And just a, just a good, juicy little warm up. And when I was out there, the national anthem began playing. And it was just this crazy, euphoric experience standing out there, looking around at Jacobs Field. Uh, they had 400 and some consecutive sellouts at the time. They were at the height of their uh, Cleveland Indians stardom. I mean, it was really, really cool. So end up getting in there against Finley. Got the knock off them. And they took the first hit ball and threw it in to Miguel Tejada. Miguel Tejada then takes the ball. And he's like, I like this to the fans. Like, who wants it? All the fans are like, oh, I'll take it. And he switches the ball, and then he throws the ball in the stands. Classic switcheroo. He was on the forefront of that, which transpired, or still, it still transpires today, a lot. Well, the irony of all this is that I never got my fucking first hit ball. I'm not kidding you. So they gave it to Boost. And I, I'm trying to think if Boost was on the trip because Brian may have been on the trip. But somehow, some way, the ball gets lost. So I never got my first hit ball. And I really don't give a shit one bit. And then I come up my second at bat. And I fucking swear one up to the left center field gap. And I think it's got a chance to go. If not, it's going to hit off the wall. Well, here comes Kenny Lofton out of nowhere. <sighs> Snatches it. I'm like, oh, shit, okay. Welcome to the big lead. I he was one of the best center fielders to ever play the game. I hit another ball hard. So I think it was a line out to center, that deep one to, to left center. And then I come up for my fourth at bat, base hit, left field on a slider from a right-handed pitcher. And then the fifth at bat was against Steve Reed, I believe. And I mean, look, if there's some details that I fucked up, I apologize. But I do know it was Steve Reed. And I, I 
almost positive it was my last at bat. And he throws a first pitch hanger. It's just like, oh. now I had this big finish where it was one hand and up. So it seemed probably a little bit more elaborate than it actually was. And then he said something, and I didn't really hear him. I, I may have been like mumble jumble, whatever. But I did hear our dugout after he said something like kind of chirping back and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm not thinking anything of it. So I get in there and then right in the ass cheek. Uh, I'm like, sweet. On base percentage, baby. The A's love that. Down to first base. Well, our dugout erupts. Fuck you, motherfucker. You fucking little bitch. On and on. I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, what happened? So the next inning, Sandy Alomar comes up. We throw behind him. And at that point, Sandy, you know, does his thing, whatever. Lost in all of this. And I apologize because I don't remember the exact sequence. But at some point, Bartolo Colon, so this was the next day, threw a fucking ball behind Ben Grease's head. And benches obviously cleared again at that point. But when the bench is cleared, both times, I 100% want to make sure I was on the front line. Just not saying anything, not being the aggressor, but because this started because of my wild hack at the dish, I didn't want somebody else fighting my fight. Now, I get out there, and David Sagi, who at the time was, uh, according to him, if you ask, if you go, go through now, I don't know about that specific time, but through the course of his career, was a huge HGH guy. So, I mean, this guy was shredded anyway, but you had a little growth to him, and... He had fucking veins and muscles and everything just floating out of everywhere. And anyhow, I, I'm toe-to-toe with him. And he literally had a snot coming out of his nose. Just fucking looked, looked like a madman. I, his eyes. And I didn't say anything, and I stood there. Like, okay. And at that point... Matt Stairs walked over, and he separated us. And But it wasn't like he almost went into, like, a negotiation-type point and started, like, hey, yo, like, you know, you guys hit our boy. We threw behind Sandy. Like, that should be it. And, you know, now they go behind Ben Greasehead. There was just a... Again, like there were so many different things that had transpired between that night and the next day. So anyhow, I'm there and find myself now in front of Omar Vizquel. And literally, I had a grin like this. It's so stoked. A huge Omar Vizquel fan. There's just nobody that played the game. He was the best shortstop of the game. I just, it was just his hands. I mean, defensively, these guys are fucking wizard, man. 
And I'm like, what's, what's up, Omar? I'm a big fan. He's like, ah, oh, what's up, kid? He's like, welcome to the big leagues. Just one of the cooler moments of my career. And so anyhow, uh, after, after the game, right, or after the, the night game in which we had the benches clear, the first game, I go back to the hotel, and I see my mom, my sister, is just like, dude, there's no fucking way, like, all this has happened. And I get a call on that hotel phone. It literally, I, I, the, I'm like, what? Like, who's calling me on my hotel phone? And Bernsey, stairs, get your ass down. And I, I didn't want to go. I mean, I, I just want, number one, I want to sleep. Number two, like my mom, my sister were there. Sasson was there with my agent. I want to spend some time with them. I want to be able to decompress and whatever. But I'm like, dude, like I got to go. Like there's, there's no choice. And when I got down to the hotel bar, it, there already was a shot of Jaeger sitting on the thing. And that was like the shot back in the day. And there was a Coors Light. And he goes, dude, let's take the shot and get the fuck out of here. I'm like, all right, shot out. I'm like, where are we going? Christie's Cabaret, of course. So we go to the strippy and I don't know. I, I think we close it down at like four in the morning, uh, something like that. Just a wild night, wild couple days. Uh, it's, Really grateful, obviously, for, for the experience. I mean, just all the different things that happened in, in such a short period of time. Pretty, pretty cool. So on that note, let's uh, get into a couple things that I had here for today. This is uh, an interesting one. And I've had several people reach out to me. Because for whatever reason, they feel like I should be the defender of the Savannah Bananas. But Barstool's Dave Portnoy, El Presidente, apparently started a social media war with the beloved Savannah Bananas. And there was an article here uh, about it the other day that people were sending me. And then I'll just go over and I'll kind of give you my take on it. Dave Portnoy is back as the owner of Barstool Sports, and one of his first changes, no more Savannah Bananas content on social media pages. That's right. Portnoy is not a fan of the beloved independent baseball team that has gained popularity for their iconic banana ball, which features rules that include an out if a fan catches a foul ball and no walks allowed. That's not true. Uh, Portnoy, well, I guess it is because they're sprints. Fortnite started a social media war with the Bananas on X on Monday. That's uh, formerly Twitter, by the way. Simply tweeting, quote, I'm so fucking sick of the Savannah Bananas. Of course, the Bananas, a team well known for their social media presence, they perform TikTok training dances on field during games. Couldn't let Portnoy say that. So the Bananas come back. Barstool is in our DMs every day asking to reshape our videos. The Bananas wrote under someone who responded to Portnoy saying, they might be sick of you too. Well, 
The Bananas also pointed out that Barstool personality, Marty Mush, hit BP with them recently when they were in Staten Island. So all this transpired. They go back and forth. Then later, Portnoy actually wrote a whole thing that I guess further explained why he didn't love the Savannah Bananas. And he says, I'm back. Lame shit is out. Portnoy wrote on X. Congrats on having low-rent talent make lame-ass videos. Oh, Marty Mush took BP. You're proving my point, Portnoy said. But Portnoy didn't just leave it to social media. He posted a blog on Barstool Sports explaining why he is sick of the banana squad. In a post titled, the Savannah Bananas think they are cool because Marty Mush took BP with them. Portnoy didn't hold back any thoughts on the bananas. Portnoy called what the bananas do a, quote, kid show that plays wacky baseball and do wacky things, and it works for them. He didn't knock their popularity, and there's no way to really do that. Though he made an editor's note that, quote, I hate kids. Then he let it rip. But what is driving me crazy is seeing their clips go viral every two seconds, he wrote. Like after the 9,000th time of essentially the same exact thing, we get the point. Oh, the center fielder did a flip catching a routine fly ball. Oh, the umpire is dancing. Oh, they are dancing their way to the batter's box. Oh, they are doing a two-seat slide. Enough already. It's lame-ass content. Portnoy added that he told his social media team not to post their videos any longer on personal platforms. And what did the bananas do after Portnoy tried to dunk on them? They posted a video of him saying, go bananas. Portnoy wants war with the bananas. And they seem to be answering the call. Okay. Here's the deal. El Presidente, as he refers to himself, Dave Portnoy. I have a lot of respect for him in the sense that he helped build this barstool empire. He had a vision of catering sports content, whether it was articles and later podcasts and everything else, to the average barstool-sitting American male. The same shit that we all envision sitting at a bar with our boys talking all sorts of bullshit. And in a lot of senses, not having a filter. Now, I could also say that in a lot of ways, no filter, uh, Yeah, it's similar to the concept and idea that Portnoy had a long time ago. Now, from a technological perspective, I think we have a vision of just making this interactive with the fans that communicate, whether it's an alternative broadcast or just running shows like these. But we were really big on a lot of the same principles that Portnoy is about, which is you no know, censorship, authenticity. Uh, sometimes you, you, you might hurt somebody's feelings, but so long as you stay true to yourself, I truly believe that Portnoy 
hates the Savannah Bananas. He doesn't give a fuck about the popularity or this or that. And as he said, he, like, he hates kids. This is not for you. Now, I would tell you, and I'd tell the Bananas, what Barstool does is not for everybody. What the Savannah Bananas do is not for everybody. You can't try to be everything to all people. It's just not going to happen. So as much as I would like to defend the Savannah Bananas and say, yo, Dave, like, what the fuck, man? And get into this big pissing contest. My response to all of his criticisms of the Bananas is, yeah, man, that's, that's very easily how not only you perceive it, but other people are going to perceive it. There's certain nights where I look at some of the shit that we do, that we did, and I'm like, that's lame-ass shit. But it's all part of the process because even when it's lame, it's not intentionally lame, not sometimes, but it's in search of something great. And the one thing that I respect wholeheartedly about the bananas is that they're not afraid to fail. So if they try something that just doesn't work out, well, fuck, onward and upward. That's it. Now, Portnoy being upset with the fact that they go viral all the time. Look, dude, call it whatever you want, but I... If you're going viral as much as they're going fucking viral, it is not lame content. It's, co- it's, it's pretty wholesome content that is shareable amongst adults and children alike. And that's where the bananas have absolutely drilled it. They've taken something where, let's just say, our family. I am a 47-year-old man, loves baseball, big sports fan. Tara, uh, sports fan, loves baseball. Biscuit, obviously, plays baseball, loves baseball. The girls, eh, I don't know, not so much. I have a 14 and 13-year-old girl. They will watch a baseball game if they're forced to watch a baseball game. But other than that, they're not interested in that at all. Unless... It's the Savannah Bananas. So when your target audience, say for Barstool, is a 18 to 55-year-old man, yeah, I think all the stuff that the Bananas do is going to come with some ridicule from that audience. But when you understand that the audience goes essentially down to like four-year-olds for the bananas and then includes teenage girls that don't even like baseball that's where they're winning now i i also believe that the bananas is something that you have to experience in person to truly appreciate because when you're watching 
the chopped up 15 second clips of dudes dancing with their shirts off and pulling ridiculous stunts on a baseball field. After a while, it can be like, meh. But as you're able to get into the ballpark and experience the parade and the energy and the nonstop entertainment and the fucking DJ Shark playing throughout the entire game, there's a vibe and an energy at a Bananas game that I think even El Presidente would enjoy. So that would be my challenge to El Prez is, look, dude, I get it. And I understand where you're coming from and why you perceive the Savannah Bananas to be who you think they are. But if you really want to know somebody, come to a game. Come experience what everyone else has experienced with the Bananas. And then even you can change. Now, if you don't want to, and you might not, I'm good with it. But I do think that you would have a deeper appreciation for the Bananas if you actually got into the trenches with them and understood how the production is run and the actual skill that it takes to catch a fucking ball doing a backflip in center field. That never gets old because I know how difficult that is. So that's uh, pretty much uh, you know, my overall take on that. And it's kind of like what Abraham Lincoln said. Like, I don't know that man. Or excuse me, I don't like that man. I, I need to get to know him better. Well, I, I think that'd be a pretty cool situation to see that go down and, and actually, you know, get El Prez out to a game. But it's, you know, look, overall, too, if he fucking wants to continue to shit on it, that's fine. And I, my message to the bananas would be don't try to be everything to everybody. You're not going to do it. There's going to be the haters. There's people in MLB. You think Dave's the only guy that doesn't like the banana? I guarantee you, maybe not half, but I bet you a good amount of big leaguers are like, fuck this. These guys are dudes that are not nearly as talented as we are. Now, the one thing about the guys in the big league, though, that is basically – you know, I don't think they give a shit one way or another, is that, number one, they're getting compensated way more than any of the Bananas players. Uh, number two, uh, with these guys, is that they're filling up stadiums the same way the Bananas are. And there's just not the same energy, though. Like, you go to a big league game, if it is sold out, it's nothing like a fucking Bananas game. Like, it's not even close. The only way I could say that there is that energy. And you can ask Hunter Pence, ask Josh Reddick, because both of them just experienced it in Sacramento. A pregame parade. They said that the only other thing that they've ever experienced 
like the Savannah Bananas pregame parade was the actual World Series parades that they participated in. That's why people go. That's why people love the bananas. You just can't fucking fake that energy. It's real. It's electric. So that's uh, pretty much it. Now, there's one other thing I wanted to hit today. Girl power. Yes. An article I saw on MLB.com. Pretty cool. Stella Weaver is making history with her bat at the Little League World Series. They don't call them Stella and the Fellas for nothing. That's the greatest thing they've ever heard. Little League phenom Stella Weaver isn't here just to show face. She's here to chase a championship and make a little history in the process. On Tuesday, Weaver, a 12-year-old from Nolensville, Little League, recorded her third hit in Tennessee's three Little League World Series games so far, setting the all-time U.S. record for hits by a girl in a tournament. The overall record for a girl is four hits, set by Japan's Sayaka Susimi in five games in 1998. Weaver has been making headlines nationally ever since throwing a shutout and a 10-0 win over Alabama in both teams' opening Southeast Regional Contest. When Nolensville won that regional tournament to clinch the Little League World Series spot and ensured that Weaver would become the 22nd female participant in Little League World Series history. This is a fourth consecutive tournament to feature at least one girl. The 2019, 2021, 2022 Little League World Series all had one apiece. There was no tournament in 2020. But with all due respect to those who came before her, Weaver's been breaking records in a manner that hasn't been seen since Philadelphia's Monet Davis stole the show on national scale nine years ago. Gosh, damn, it's been nine years. Davis, for what it's worth, is one of many baseball figures who noticed Weaver's rapid ascent, wishing good luck to the 12-year-old before the Southeast Regional Championship win over Florida. Another Philadelphia baseball legend also gave Weaver a shout-out when Bryce Harper had a conversation with her before the game the other day. So that's really cool. To see the girls out there doing their thing. I actually had my girls playing Little League. One of the issues was Chloe was a pioneer. And she was playing in the minors. She was a nine-year-old playing in the minors. Kid pitch. And, dude, they hit her every time. Uh, It was just – it was a walk or a hit every single time. And I think she just got burned out of it. And she played – with Susie, who was a, one of her best girlfriends at the time. And, you know, once Susie went to play softball, uh, Chloe was out and done. Uh, Callie, on the other hand, she played coach pitch. And her and Colton were on the same team. But the coach pitched the ball one day, and she hit a bullet right back up the middle. And then coach pitch, the coach – will pitch, and the pitcher stands behind the coach. And so the ball came right back at the coach, a bullet. The coach goes like this, and ducks. And here's this poor little kid right here. Blood. So Callie was traumatized by 
breaking the kid's nose. And I don't know if you broke his nose, but yeah, I mean, it's there. Were, there was a there was a lot of blood, and that was the last year that she played. But I would encourage all girls to play baseball, and especially now with uh, the way the USA Women's National Team is getting after it. I think that baseball from a, a girl's perspective could be really, really good. And I do think that you could tighten the field. I don't know how big of, of a field that they play on, but for whatever reason, I'm just envisioning this maybe 5480. And it would just increase the velocity of these girls. Uh, they get to the bases quicker. I mean, if you look at, you know, there's there's plenty of other sports that say would have different you know regulations for a girl compared to uh, the boys. Is you know overall you got the men that are physically bigger and stronger. So if you take the girls and the whole thing is like the speed of the game, I think the girls could also benefit by taking some of the Savannah banana rules and making a women's professional league. I, I would be all over that, all over that and fully support it. I did a buy a fucking team. I'm all in a women's Savannah banana type league with all sorts of crazy rules. And again, I, like I said, I think the the distance needs to tighten up. Because even if you're playing, just imagine you go play in any minor league ballpark, or whatever else. Like it's not, it's, it's stupid. Like the fences should be probably about, I don't know, two eighty to three twenty. But just, yeah, I re- reshape the game a little bit. But the, as far as girls in baseball, uh, yes, 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 fully supportive of that. Uh, as far as weather. Uh, is concerned currently right now, uh, Studio 22, 63 degrees outside, 74 degrees inside. I knew it felt a little toasty in here. A high of 77 today. The wind's completely calm right now at zero miles per hour. Uh, Half Boom Bay, Giuseppe Pepe Manueli, 68 degrees, high of 75, a low of 57. Dude, 75. That's like 95 and a half with Giuseppe Pepe. Holy shit, it's going to be hot out there. New York City, Viro, Chief Waters, 77 degrees, high of 80, abundant sunshine through the course of the day. You got showers coming tomorrow. Phoenix, Michelle Drew, Kowalski, 93 degrees currently right now, high of 106, air quality alert. Auburn, California. Montgomery's, Ponterolos, Griffins, Riegers, 78 degrees high and 91, low at 63. Sunshine through the course of the whole day. Uh, Duluth, Minnesota. Hello, Gene. Saw you on Deuces Wild last night. Gene's looking for Taco to hang off of Will's nose. I just doubt it's going to happen. 64 degrees, high of 68. Beach hazard uh, statements in effect, by the way, Gene. Be careful out there at the lakes. Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, Mo. 90 degrees, high of 95, and low of 75. San Mateo, California, Gary Tagliafico, where the fuck have you been? High of 85. So it is going to be hot in the Bay Area today. Las Vegas, Nevada, Michael, 85 degrees, high of 97. Savannah, Georgia, land on the plot, no, 86 degrees, high of 89. Fresno, it's going to get up to 96 today, currently 77. Bakersfield, Buckwheat. What's up, Buck? Is it hump day? 
It is. Happy hump day, man. Where you been? Expect to see you on the chat firing away on hump day. You're a big fan of hump day. Always happen. 76 degrees, high of 93, low of 71. Hemet, Stephen Lucas, 77 degrees, high of 94, low of 64. How about John Manuel Ramos Henderson? 82 degrees, high of 88 in Makati City. We're international once again, motherfuckers. And you know what else is once again? Rain showers. They keep coming at them. Duncan Dad, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, 75 degrees, high of 80, low of 61. Montgomery, Alabama, 94 degrees, high of 99. Excessive heat warnings everywhere in the south. Germantown, Wisconsin. Jesse Burns, my brother from another mother. Excessive heat warning for you there, too. It's going to get up to 99 degrees. Orchard Park, home of the Buffalo Bills. Also, Pat O'Connell and the Busey brothers. High of 73 today, and it's fucking rainy right now. Huh. South Haven, Mississippi, 81 degrees. High of 87. Low of 70. How about Boise, Idaho? RJ uh, likes the uh, Boise, Idaho report. Came on here. I don't know, a couple weeks ago and asked to be added to the list. We got you, RJ. You will get these personalized weather reports nowhere else but right here on No Filter Network. 71 degrees, high of 83, low of 61. And congrats to RJ for his success at NTIS. Kids a hell of a ball player plays for our LTP. 13U team, about to be 14. As far as scores around Major League Baseball, let's hit that, a couple of the top news stories, and then we really are out of here. Uh, yesterday, 22nd of August, it was the Tigers 8-6 over the Cubs. That's a bad beat for the Cubs. who are in a playoff race. The Rays 12-4 over the Rockies. Giants go down to Philly 4-3. Yeah, we watched this one yesterday, and it was, it was tough. The Giants had an opportunity, obviously, to win the game. They went into the ninth, leading by one, and Duvall took the loss. It was a line drive right back at him. That I, I, It's a tough play, but it's just he got his glove on it, it ricocheted, and then that was it. So the Phillies are now 69-57. and 57. The Giants are out of the playoff picture right now. They're 65-61. and 61. Now, they could get right back in it because they're only like a half game back. Bryce Harper. Holy shit, man. Like, he was all over the Giants' rookie pitcher. Uh, if you saw Kyle Harrison pitch, he was impressive. He had a forcing fastball that was riding through the zone. But it seemed that he, he, was, he had some sort of towel on his off-speed pitches. But to think that lefties were five for five against him is just it's fucking crazy. But he ended up striking out five, walked one overall. I'd say a nice successful debut for the kid from De La Salle High School. Cardinals go down to the Pirates 6-3. Blue Jays 6-3 over the O's. Nationals 2-1 over the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees have hit an all-time low. They're 60 and 65. They're not going to finish over 500. Wow. I feel bad for our guy, Sean Casey, over there. This is really not much he could do. Obviously inherited a team that, uh, from a hitting coach perspective, that uh, they're, just, they're just scuffling right now. Really, really scuffling. Guardians 8-3 over the Dodgers. 
uh, in Cleveland. It was the Braves 3-2 over the Mets in Atlanta. Braves have 81 wins now. Astros is 7-3 over the Red Sox. And Justin Verlander caught on camera telling Alex Cora basically to fuck off. We posted that video on No Filter Network. Uh, then you got the Mariners 6-3 over the White Sox. They stay hot. The Brewers 7-3 over the Twinkies. The Angels go down to the Reds. Ruin Mike Trout's returns. Good to see him back, though. The A's 5-4 over the Royals. D-backs 6-3 over the Rangers. And the Marlins 3-0 winners in San Diego, who is down seven games below 500. Taking a look at the standings, it's Baltimore, Texas, and Minnesota, your division leaders in the American League with Tampa, Houston, and Seattle, your wildcard teams. Toronto is just one back. Boston is five back. In the National League, it's Atlanta, the Dodgers, and Milwaukee leading the three divisions. And then the wildcard picture, it's fucking wild. It's Philadelphia, Chicago, and Arizona now sneaks in. They've won four in a row. The Reds are a half game back. The Giants are a half game back. And the Marlins are one game back. If you have any hope uh, for if you're a San Diego fan, it's that the Padres are only six back. But the huge issue is they have to leap one, two, three, four teams to get there. Uh, that's it. Wait, hold on a second. Hold tight here. I'm going to to reverse because I just saw this article. Dan Heron, former teammate of mine, like really good friend of mine, has a request for Shohei Otani, and he put it in a polite letter form. This ought to be interesting. It says, you can add former MLB pitcher Dan Heron to the list of fans who admire Shohei Otani. Heron, a three-time All-Star in Angel from 2010 to 2012, and current pitching strategist with the D-backs, bought Otani and Mike Trout jerseys in hopes of getting them signed by the two Angel superstars. Quote, Mr. Otani, my name is Dan Heron. He wrote in a letter tagging former Angels teammate Jared Weaver in a social media post. Can you please sign this jersey for my personal collection? Oh, my goodness. This is great. And then he says, I asked nicely. And then here's the actual penned letter. You can see it on, on X. It says, Mr. Otani, my name is Dan Herrick. Can you please sign the jersey for my personal collection? I played for the Angels for three years, 2010 to 2012. I was on the team when... Trout was a rookie. Also, just so you know, I was the last pitcher to have a four-hit game before you did it. Ha-ha. Thanks, Dan Herod. If this doesn't get him a fucking signed Shohei Otani jersey, I don't know what will. He is one of the wittiest uh, people I've ever met in my life, and this letter is perfectly in cue. It says, an attempt to appeal to a superstar, Heron alluded to playing with Trout from 2011-2012. He also touted a very specific feat that he shares in common with Otani. Before Otani tallied four hits as a starting pitcher on May 14th earlier this year, Heron 
was the last pitcher to do it when he had four hits as a member of the D-backs in 2010. Perhaps this letter going public is all Heron needs to make his wish come true, and he'll be the lucky recipient of a signed Otani and Trout jersey in the near future. Nice work, Dan. Solid. All right, everyone have a fantastic day. Daily Hustle will be back on Friday. Pay attention to uh, other streams. Lighten up the No Filter Network homepage. And everyone have a fantastic day.